So today we're going to be in Romans 8, as the bulletin says. But we're going to be specifically in verses 18 through 25. So go ahead and turn there, Romans 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the suffering of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I had to do one of the hardest things as a parent so far. I've only been a parent for three years, so I'm sure that there might be harder things that will come. But a, f a month or so ago, Ezekiel was in the hospital with RSV. He's our six-month-old. He was in the hospital with RSV. It's a respiratory something virus. The middle word is not something. I just can't think of what it's called. One of the things with RSV is that you get a lot of mucus. Now, one of the problems is that Ezekiel does not have a cleft palate. It means that he does not have the roof of his mouth. It goes straight up into his nasal cavity. Please don't take my baby and try to open his mouth and see his nasal cavity. That would just be weird. Go ahead and take my word for it. Straight up into both nasal cavities, you're able to see. Now, a lot of mucus... No roof of the mouth means what? Where does the mucus go? Not out of his nose. He's got the cleanest nose ever. Goes straight down into his mouth. Down his throat. Makes it harder for him to breathe. Which is one of the reasons why the doctors think he also ended up with pneumonia. So what they started to do is they started to take a suction, like a little vacuum. Or if you've been to the dentist recently... Like one of those things where they suck the water out of your mouth. They started using that. 
Now, Ezekiel can't talk, but there's one thing that's for certain. It probably felt like he was being tortured. And it got to the point where he was moving his head, flailing his arms so much so that who had to hold him in place? So here I am, staying the night, having to put his head between my forearms while I hold his arms down so that the nurse can suck all of the mucus out while he is screaming and crying. It's not fun, but there's something that I knew that he didn't know and that it was going to help him, that the suffering that he was going to face then was going to lead to his rest. It was going to lead, actually, and and pretty funny, Sharice and I joked about this, every time that the nurses would suction him out, it was like two seconds later and he would close his eyes and go to sleep. So it must have been (laughs) that traumatic where he would put himself to sleep then. But we knew that it was going to help him. That although he was suffering right then in that moment, that it was going to lead to greater rest for him. The ability to breathe a little bit better was going to help him to go home quickly. I couldn't help while preparing for this passage thinking how similar right now as Christians we go through that. And what this passage is going to show us this morning, what I believe Paul is trying to tell us is that because we are children of God, guess what? Our present sufferings They've got nothing on the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Now, I want to be careful, and I just want to tell us, look, if if you come to the Christian faith expecting that all of your sufferings will go away, like when I was a kid or in high school, and my friends started knowing that I became a Christian and would say, this is just a crutch, If you think coming to Christianity, all of your suffering will go away, then that's furthest from the reality. And so here what Paul is doing and what he's been doing is saying, this is the life in Christ. The Spirit indwells in you. The Spirit indwells in you to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The Spirit dwelling in you tells you that you are adopted. You are adopted and have an intimate relationship with God, whom you cry out saying, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness to your spirit. So hear what Paul is going to do, and, and actually how he's now, for the rest of this chapter, what he's going to answer or what he's going to unpack for us and and show us a little bit, is what he says in verse 17. And if the children, then heirs, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided. So he is about to tell us through 18 all the way, provided what? Provided you, we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so 
right here, what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to say, look, the suffering that you think is terrible is actually a lot worse than what you think. (laughs) That's pretty bleak. But here, what he's going to also say is that the glory that is about to be revealed to you will cause you to look at all of that suffering and say, what suffering? And he actually gives us a great illustration for this later on that we'll get into. You see, the suffering of this world is on a cosmic level. It is massive. And there's nothing on this earth, no distraction, no amount of TV or Netflix or social media or drugs or whatever it is, government, peace on earth, Nothing will bring our hearts rest like they long for other than Jesus. That's how great the suffering is here. But what Paul is saying is that the glory to come is even greater. Remember going to Alaska for a basketball tournament? The plane ride was terrible. We get there. It's nighttime. It's freezing. We're in Anchorage. It's cold. I want to go to the hotel. But more importantly, I want to see these majestic mountains that I've been hearing about. We go to sleep, we wake up, I look out my hotel window, and I'm breathless. That's what the revealing of the glory of God will be like. It will leave us breathless. So what this passage does to us, and as we continue to move forward through these verses, is it snaps us into reality and says, it's a lot worse out there than you think. But what's coming is a lot better and so much greater than you could possibly imagine. (laughs) So let's look at verse 18. Paul tells us, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So Paul is making it clear, present tense, this present suffering. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that life was not the easiest for him. His own friends turned on him and betrayed him when he became a Christian, beat him multiple times, a couple of times almost left him for dead. Paul's been in prison. He's been threatened. He's been locked up and thrown in jail. He's been shipwrecked. The dude's been bitten by a snake. How much worse can it get for him? And so Paul is able to sympathize with our suffering because he knows. You read 2 Corinthians and you see his heart and realize that this dude is actually a really anxious guy. That the apostle Paul struggled with anxiety. As He's unfolding his heart to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians and saying, I'm anxious for this church. So physical suffering, mental suffering. Lord, I'm pleading with you three times. Take this thorn away. Paul was a person who suffered. And it doesn't take very long in this life to realize that we too suffer. Sometimes the hand we're dealt isn't always the greatest. 
the parents who were supposed to protect you neglect and abuse and take advantage of you. Your boss, who you thought was playing it fair, was actually lying and cheating around you the whole time. The relationships with the friends you thought you had, they turned their back on you and at the quickest moment decided to stab you in the back. You're told it's just one drink, one smoke, and it turns into an addiction. It turns into being homeless. You turn on the news, and you can't help but be bombarded with the suffering that takes place in this world. And so is Paul really saying right here, I mean, think about this statement that Paul is saying. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So is what Paul really saying? Is this what he's really saying? That every bad thing that's going on in your life or this world, it will not compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us? And we have to say yes. This is what he is saying. So how does he answer this? He answers this in verse 19. 19 through 20. Hey, look, just before I move on, I just want to say this. It's this verse right here, why why Christians in our life, we should never walk with a limp because we know what's about to come. And it's also why we should never walk with swagger. We shouldn't walk with a limp. Let me, let me try to explain this. We shouldn't walk with a limp because we know that the glory is going to be so great that all of the suffering that we've ever experienced We're going to go, what? But we should never walk with swagger because we see how great God is and we know that suffering is common. Okay. I just just wanted to say that. We we shouldn't self-deprecate ourselves. We shouldn't navel-gaze, but we also shouldn't look at ourselves and say, hey, look, I've got it together. That's, That's what I mean by that. So verse 19 I'm going to read to verse 21 for us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So verse 19, this is how incredible this glory is. Think about this. That the very creation, each snowflake that is dropping right now and that has dropped, is eagerly 
waiting for this reveal. Each tree, each piece of grass, every single star that's been counted, plant, planet that is in outer space, waits with eager longing. Like, like this, is, this is like a child, right? You tell them, hey, we're going to go to amusement park this weekend. And every single day until that day, what are they asking you? Are we going? Are we going? Is today the day? Are we going now? I can't wait until you get home. Like this is like, like two parents with children. And somebody says, we want to watch your children so that way you can go out on a date and you're sitting at the window looking and saying, I wonder if they're here yet. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? Here are my kids. Don't kill them. We'll be back tomorrow. This is like those who are retired eagerly waiting to go to Branson. <laughs> the creation is giddy and is longing for the revealing of the adoption of God's children. Creation is eagerly giddy and waiting for this revelation to know who the children are, to experience this glory. Every single day, is, is today the day? Is today the day? Is this the day? Are we seeing the glory today? Are, what about today? Are we seeing the glory? Is it coming now? Well, I hope it comes tomorrow. The creation is eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because of the most tragic thing that has happened in human history. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility. We can look at that word futility and we can say depravity, vanity, instability. You pick. It was subjected. It was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Here's why the creation waits eagerly for the revealing. If you go back and you read Genesis 3, specifically verses 18 and 19, you'll see Adam and Eve's sin a little bit earlier. God says you can have anything in this garden. It's just this one tree do not eat of. And the serpent comes and tempts them saying, God doesn't want you to eat that because he knows you'll be like God. And so Adam and Eve give in to their temptation. Adam eats of the fruit, gives it to his wife. And then everybody just starts pointing fingers. Ironically, the only person that doesn't point fingers is the serpent. Adam points to Eve. Eve points to the serpent. And the serpent says, yes. And because of that, God had to kick Adam and Eve out of the perfect garden. Everything that they once knew is now subjected to instability. Because of their sin, because of our sin, the creation eagerly longs for the revealing of this glory. 
And so God has to curse. He curses the man, saying, This earth will yield thorns and thistles, and you will have to work. Your work will not be pleasurable like it once was. Like, think about this. Before Adam and Eve sinned, every single day at work for them, they came home and said, I can't wait to go to work tomorrow. After that, Adam and Eve said, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. This is too hard. It's too painful. Not only did God curse the ground, he cursed Adam saying it was going to be hard, and he curses Eve saying childbirth will be painful. Think of that. will be painful. And so what Paul is saying here is that everything that we know here on earth is stained to some degree or another with sin. It's imperfect. The other place that we see this word fertility, uh, uh, not fertility, futility, completely different message if that was the case is in Ecclesiastes when the preacher is saying that all is vanity all is meaningless Ecclesiastes is a great book to read if you're a cynic nothing here on earth will fix the problem of our hearts looking for satisfaction. This is why creation longs for this revelation, for this revealing party, because it's cursed. And there's nothing that can change here on earth that curse. And so the creation hopes, in hope. Well, God, in hope, subjected the creation. Why? That the creation would be set free. It would be set free from the bondage of this corruption. And finally, obtain freedom. So Paul is looking back and saying, up until this point, suffering is great. Suffering is so massive that creation even longs for the full revelation of God's glory. But Paul also is looking into the future saying, but the new heavens and the new earth, when that comes, creation will be free. A few days ago, on Friday, Sharice went out to a coffee shop, and I was with the boys at home. Ezekiel was sleeping, and Haddon was playing, and he has this little nativity scene. For whatever reason, he wanted to play with it. Well, not whatever reason. He's three years old. 
And so he puts the nativity scene off. I'm sitting in the chair watching him. And he puts baby Jesus in the center. And he starts taking all of his toys one by one to put it around the nativity scene. And I said, buddy, what are you doing? Come here and sit down with me, Daddy. He didn't answer my question. Come here and sit down with me. Well, actually, unfortunately, he doesn't call us Mommy and Daddy anymore. He calls us Mom and Dad. Pray for Sharice and I as we mourn. I, I said, buddy, what are you doing? Are, are these things, like, are they, what are they doing? They Are they saying, yay, Jesus is here? Yeah. So the dinosaurs are, Yeah. So the animals are, yeah. Wait, hang on. Uh, I've got my puzzle piece that has all of the alphabetic letters. I need to go and put those around too. Oh, I, and Dad, I need to go and get my trees really quick. And, and here's the stuffed elephant that you push things. Do your ears hang low? I've got to put that right there. And, and here I've also got to get this piece of paper and, and this card game. And all of these things need to go around to worship Jesus, that he's here. And I couldn't help but say, thanks, but I have an illustration now. Because this is what creation longs for, but it's subjected to fertility. And so, as it waits, it longs eagerly for the revealing of the sons and daughters. Because it wants to be back. Look, every wrong thing that has been done, God will unwrite it. This is why no political party, no Republican president, no Democrat president, president will ever bring peace on earth. This is why no amount of money will ever satisfy you. This is why no relationship can fill the void that's in our hearts. Is because creation is subjected, and because it's subjected, it reminds us this isn't where we belong. The curse is still present. You know, I was with a group of pastors on Thursday. One of them made an interesting point, which I think he's absolutely right. Do you know what the pandemic reminds us of? That the curse is still present. That no amount of healthy living will allow you to escape from death. The pandemic is a reminder from God that the curse is still very real. And in God's grace, he's giving us time to repent. And so what happens? Verses 22 and 23 tell us, gives us this very graphic, very hopeful image. 23 says, and not only the, or 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So not only is creation 
eagerly waiting and longing for the revealing of God's glory, but it's actually groaning. It's hoping. What is the vivid image that Paul gives us here? The creation is groaning as if it's giving birth. I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital room with somebody who's giving birth, but it's not a quiet place. Despite what, despite what the movies show, it's actually pretty messy. Sorry, Sharice, but when Sharice was done giving birth, she didn't have makeup on and her hair was not perfect. She was a little bit sweaty. I was a little bit sweaty. And this is how the creation groans. It groans as if it's in child, it's as if it's in labor, looking forward for this baby to come. And that's the other thing then, that although labor is hard and painful, what's on the other side? This precious child. And this is why Paul then goes on to say, verse 23, and not only the creation groans for this, this isn't just the creation. Now he's linking it back to us. He's been using this whole thing as an illustration to remind us of the curse and then to tell us we also long for that too. So every time you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't go back to sleep because your anxiety is absolutely killing you. That's the groaning. Every sinful thing that's been done to you or you've done to somebody else and now you either look back and you say, I can't believe this has been done to me or I can't believe I did that, right? Paul says, wretched man that I am. This is this inward groan of longing to be fully adopted. We groan because as long as we wait for Christ's coming, we will always have sin to remind us of our fallen nature. And here's the thing. Because of that, we will be reminded we aren't perfect. But Paul tells us that we have the Spirit and the Spirit's... We have the first fruit of the Spirit. This is the down payment. This is the helper that Jesus promised to send when he ascended into heaven. That I will send you one who will help you. And so the Spirit is this down payment to remind us and to bear witness to our spirit of the coming of Christ. That helps us groan and long. So here, take comfort in this. If you're reminded of your sin and you, like Paul, say, wretched man that I am, this is the Spirit inside of you groaning. Take comfort in this. If you long for the coming of Jesus, this is the Spirit bearing witness to your spirit because it is groaning inside of you saying, this is not my home. I wasn't made for this. And so we groan as if we're in childbirth. We groan because we're in between the already not yet. God can't save you more right now than he already has. Like if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then you are completely justified. No amount of work that you can do can ever contribute to your salvation. As one person puts it, 
The only thing that you and I have contributed to our salvation is the sin that has made it necessary. And so we groan because we're longing to go home here. I mean, we groan like we're in childbirth. Childbirth is messy. It's painful. And I haven't had a child, but I'm sure if I were to ask women, it's probably longer than you want it to be. And this is like our suffering right now while we wait and groan. It is messy. It is painful. And it is longer than we want. But at the end, at the end, when you are holding that child in your arms, six months later, you say, what pain? I don't remember it. And so it will be for us in this life. We will suffer. We will suffer at the hands of other people. We we will suffer from the loss of loved ones. We will suffer from trauma from those that we trusted. We will suffer from addiction. We will suffer from the guilt of sin. We will cry out, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body? And we will cry out, Jesus Christ. But in the end, when the full glory is revealed, we will look up and we will forget what has taken place because we're trying to catch our breath as if we are looking at the Grand Canyon, looking at great mountains because the glory that's to be revealed to us will be the most beautiful, comforting, and greatest thing that we will ever walk into. And so how Paul then finishes this part in verses 24-25 is he just tells us this is then what we hope in. This right here is our hope. This is what we have hoped in. For in this hope we were saved. We were saved in our faith of Jesus Christ. We were saved in the faith and the belief and the trust that what Jesus has said actually happens. And this is the free gift that's extended to all of us. Look, if you don't know Christ, if you're not a Christian and you're with us here this morning, I just would like you to contemplate this reality. Jesus answers the questions of suffering in this world. He answers this longing of knowing that this is strange that I wrestle with this. And so we trust in Jesus because everything that Jesus has done and said has come to pass. And we wait. We wait. We wait for it like a child waiting to be picked up from an orphanage. The people have been paid, the documents have been signed, and all that's left is for mom and dad to go and pick them up and bring them home. 
And so we wait with patience. I'd like to just conclude it with this. It's a quote by John Stott. John Stott was a a pastor, theologian. You can't say it better than somebody than just say what that person said. Give them credit, though. Don't. John Stott says this. I think he, he sums up this part of Scripture pretty good. This is where we're at right now. We're caught in the tension of what God has inaugurated or started by giving us his spirit and what he will consummate or conclude our final adoption and redemption. We groan with discomfort and longing. And the indwelling spirit gives us joy, and the coming glory gives us hope, but the interim space right now gives us pain. The indwelling spirit gives us joy, and the coming glory gives us hope. But the interim space right now gives us pain. So as we walk this path, as we walk our lives, we need to know that we've been given the Spirit. We also need to know that we've been given a family. So we do this together in encouraging one another. Keep going. Keep going. The revealing of the glory is coming. Keep going. Let's pray. Father, as we wait for you, as our spirit groans inwardly, as we confess sin, as we cry out saying, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? We cry out knowing that your son's life and death and resurrection was not done in vain. He has conquered sin. And so now we wait eagerly. We wait eagerly as children for our full adoption. So grow us in patience. Grow us in our longing for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.